Good morning, dear friends and saunterers. Good morning to my lovely studio audience. And we're coming to you again from the Chapel A office. And today we're looking at the book of Hebrews, this incredible book, and with an anonymous author, but yet it is so profound. And we are in chapter two today. So I'm going to pray and ask God to help us. Lord, we pray that today this will truly be a living word that will actually find you speaking into our hearts, challenging us, shaping us, directing us, and influencing us powerfully by your word and by your Holy Spirit, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, chapter two, we were looking at Jesus and how completely different he is, how much greater and more glorious he is than the angels. Good morning, Forchi. And his role, his identity as the son is unique, is profound, glorious, and his his um, role in bringing salvation to the world is completely unique. And so now we're in chapter two. And he says, the writer says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Good morning, Macola. Good to see you. And so <clears throat> he's, drifting is a really interesting thing. I talked about it recently on a Sunday morning. Um, when we're, If we're in a boat on the sea and we do nothing, we will drift, even if there doesn't seem to be much wind, because just the the little gentle breeze that there is and the, the currents and stuff in the water will carry us along unless we're somehow anchored or fixed to a fixed point. When we're on the water, we drift. So drifting is really what we do when we do nothing. It's a default setting. And so the writer here is saying it is possible with all the pressures and winds and afflictions and everything else that you are going through as a bunch of believers right now, it is possible that those tides and those currents and winds and pressures and challenges drift you away from what you've heard. And so he says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard. And so it's that thing of just like setting our, putting, keeping these precious truths in the forefront of our minds, meditating on them, reflecting on them day by day by day to keep us close to Jesus. And he says, lest we drift away from it. But then he talks about this um, comparison between the old covenant, which came, which was delivered by angels um, to people, to the to Moses and the other um, writers of the Old Testament. And he says, since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and there was a kind of punishment. Uh, we're in Hebrews chapter two, Kathy. There was actually a punishment um, for those who 
um, ignored it and neglected it and didn't follow the ways of God and there were there were retributions. He's saying how much more this message is much more important in in a sense. This message is is much more glorious. And how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? And so he's saying, listen. This is a matter of life and death. This is a matter of eternal significance. And it's really, really important that we don't allow ourselves to drift away from these really, really central, important things. And he said, it is, and such a great salvation. Some translations say, so great salvation. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? And it's the same sense in which for God so loved the world. It's that, oh, wow, this is an incredible thing. This is so great. Um, and how should we escape? So it's really, it kind of sounds a bit intimidating in a way. How should we escape? But this is the whole point. God has made a way of escape for us where we can be saved and we can spend are the rest of our lives on earth living with him in relationship with him enjoying a relationship with him as sons and daughters but actually when this life is done we escape any consequence of sin because of what Jesus has done and any punishment that should be coming to us we escape from that because of this great salvation because we'll find out as we go through the the book that Jesus has somehow incredibly taken our punishment on himself, which means that we get to be with him forever and ever and be free from our what well, our just desserts, you might say. And so he's saying, listen, this is the way of escape. If we neglect it, there isn't another way of escape. Does that I hope that makes sense? So this is God's provision for us. This is God's way of helping us to escape from the punishment that our sins rightfully deserve and if we neglect this there isn't a plan b and this is really important this is god's provision for us there is no plan b and so he says so then he's talking about how that message came to the people that he's writing to and he said it was declared at first by the lord so you heard it first from jesus then we also then heard it from those who heard it from him. So we got it from eyewitness people who had um, heard it directly from Jesus. And we have the four Gospels, don't we, in, in the New Testament that are literally eyewitness accounts telling us what Jesus actually said and what it's all for, what it's about and the way God has planned for us to live and fill us with his Holy Spirit and all this kind of thing. And so it was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard whilst God also bore witness by signs and wonders. And so he's saying, listen, this is normal. You, This has come to you by um, by all kinds of, but as these, message, these, these messengers have brought the message, so also they've performed signs and wonders. And it's like God saying, come on, guys, take notice of what these people are saying. Here are some signs and wonders and miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, which I'm distributing to underline and kind of reinforce the message that you're receiving from these eyewitnesses. And I love that 
these the way this is put he says god also so god himself is bearing witness god is underlining it and saying yes this is true by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the holy spirit distributed according to his will it's something he does by his choice he distributes these gifts of the holy spirit now there are people around today in this world who will say and uh, some of them are quite kind of influential preachers who will say that all of that finished in the first generation of the apostles in the early church but actually I was talking to a pastor just in Sri Lanka a week ago and he was saying Paul all of the people in our church have been formerly Buddhist or Hindus or Muslims and they've come to Jesus really on the back of some kind of miraculous sign. They've been healed of something, they've been set free from demonic oppression or something like that. And and it's been a they've been to their own priests, their own um uh you know, their own normal religious people, and they paid their money and had these prayers and incantations said and various spirits invoked and whatnot. And they've still not been healed and then they've come to church, found a pastor who's prayed for them or someone in the church has prayed for them in the street or something like that. And the miracle has happened and then they become a Christian. And so this is still normal. This is normal Christian life that God is doing signs and wonders and various miracles and pouring out gifts of his Holy Spirit as a way of underlining and reinforcing the message that we're hearing of salvation right so now we're gonna take another jump forwards and he says in verse five now it's not to angels that god subjected the world to come of which we are speaking it has been testified somewhere what is man that you are mindful of him this is psalm 8 what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honour, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Or some translations say you've made him a little lower than the angels. And so God, the the author here, the writer to the Hebrews is saying, although angels are glorious and they are significant and wonderful, their part in God's plan is different to to the part that God has designed for human beings. And I think this is really profound, really incredible that he he'd said in the previous chapter that the angels are winds and flames of fire, but they're actually they're there to minister to the needs to the people of God, to the minister to the needs of the saints which is incredible. And so now he's saying, actually, the world to come has not been not been designated to be ruled over by angels, but actually human beings. And that there's this temporary kind of thing where human beings are less authoritative, perhaps, or less powerful or less glorious than angels for a period of time. But then there's this this sense that actually our ultimate um, destiny is to rule over angels and to rule over everything that God has made. Wow. Now we know that that is um, 
particularly speaking about Jesus himself, but it also seems to be speaking about the role of um, God's people, the ones that have been chosen by him, the ones who've said yes to him and followed him through their lives, um, that then they will too have this incredible authority to rule over the world in the age to come. So this is this is big stuff. And I realized that in our little talk this morning, our little study this morning, we're kind of going to skim over it. But you're really going to need to reflect on it and pray about it and ask God to open your eyes. Um, but let's read on. So he says, in now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned of glory and honour because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So he's saying, look, we can see that clearly at this moment in time, everything is not under the control of God's people, of the, his disciples, his apostles and his church. Actually, there's a lot of stuff that is not under subjection to him. And yet in in saying that he's put everything under his feet, that's an all-inclusive term. And so we would expect then to see all sickness disappear or, I don't know, all poverty disappear, all suffering disappear, all, uh, what should we say, domestic violence and all the horrible things and slavery, things that we hate, they should be removed, surely. And yet he's saying we don't actually see that yet. That's not the current state of affairs. And yet it seems to be the ultimate purpose of God to bring everything under the feet of his people. But yet, but verse 9, he says, so we don't see this yet, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. And that's really, really important. But so we don't yet see perfection. We don't yet see an end to all suffering. We don't we still see sorrow and tears, but we see Jesus. This is really, really important. It's our perspective that is important. But we see Jesus crowned with glory and honour because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. And so he's saying this, this whole business is not yet kind of played out and the, the ultimate purpose has not yet been fulfilled but we do see Jesus crowned with glory and honour. So he has made it. We said, it, didn't we, in chapter 1, that after making purification for sins, verse 3, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He doesn't take that on himself. That is something that has been given to him by virtue of who he is from the Father in heaven. So Jesus has accomplished all of this stuff. So even though there are many messes and horrible situations around in the world at the moment, when we look at Jesus, we realize actually he's finished his work. He's done what he came to do. He's crowned of glory and honor 
because of because he suffered death and tasted of that for everyone and so in a sense his job is done and now it's history is playing out um and the ultimate purpose of god will surely be fulfilled just as Jesus is surely crowned with glory and honor now. So here we get into a little bit of understanding of what we might call um, salvation theology or redemption theology. Jesus, it says that by the grace of God, that's the gift of God, the freely given gift of God, he might taste death for everyone. This is such a big, big concept that the writer to the hebrews is going to try and open up for us and he that jesus somehow did this on behalf of the whole world so good morning adrian and emma and uh emma and deepak great to see you all um so somehow jesus did this for all of us so verse 10 it says for it was fitting that he for whom Sorry, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. This is amazing. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I am the children God has given me. So he pulls out some Old Testament scriptures there just to underline his point. But this is the point. So Jesus for whom and by whom all things exist. He is the one who made everything and it was all made for him in the beginning. So he, it was made by him and for him, which is incredible, isn't it? But somehow in God's plan, it was fitting that Jesus, who made everything and it was made for him and by him, was going to somehow have to suffer to bring many sons to glory. Now, there's some really challenging things in here that can get us really lost in the detail if we're not careful. It says, in bringing many sons to glory, so this is God's ultimate purpose, is that he brings sons and daughters to glory, that they to share in his glory. And so just as Jesus is there exalted and seated at the right hand of the Father, we know from Paul in Ephesians that that's our position in Christ. We're raised and seated alongside him in those heavenly places. Whatever that looks like, it's a mystery. It's it's kind of woo, big and outside of our kind of thinking, outside of our capacity to almost and comprehend it and yet in that purpose in bringing many sons to glory that Jesus would have to become completely like us where it says made perfect it's like made complete so Jesus was completely human he became completely human whilst remaining completely God and part of the human condition is that we suffer and this is the most profound thing, that there are times when we suffer and we go through such heartbreak and heartache and tears and we feel so alone and we, we kind of think, well, 
where's God in the middle of it all? Well, actually, Jesus became so completely like you and me that he suffered the full extent of human grief and sorrow that it's possible to suffer. So he became complete. He became perfect through suffering. He he became the a, a completely fully rounded human being, we might say. The word there is teleleo or something like that, which is the same um, word that Jesus said when he was on the cross and he dies and it is finished. It was the same sense. It's completed. It's done. I've done everything to pay for the human race. But now he's it, he becomes like this completed human being through the process of suffering. And then verse 11, gosh, we do need lots of time with this, don't we? He says, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified have one source. Some translations say are of one father. So the father is the, 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 the one source of Jesus who is doing the sanctifying. That means making us holy and making us clean. And the ones who receive that, which is you and me, we actually have one source, which is God himself. He's making us holy and we belong to him. He's our father. Jesus is, he's Jesus's father. Jesus is, ah, oh man, it's like one God doing this whole process. So even the one on the cross is God himself. Good morning, Ruth, and good morning, Peter. So for he who sanctifies, that's the one who makes us holy, and those who are being made holy all have one source, are all one because of God the Father. And so then when he, so Jesus now is actually truly one of us and is able to say, and this is so humbling and staggering, that somehow Jesus Christ, seated at the right hand of God the Father, the majesty on high, looks at you and me and says, that's my brother, that's my sister. Isn't that truly incredible? Absolutely amazing. And so these mysteries are so profound and so deep and so glorious. It really is impossible to do them justice, it seems, in a few minutes. But let us dig into them and reflect on them throughout the day. The one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified have one source. So he's not ashamed to call us his brothers. Wowzers. Verse 14 then. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, that word there for share is the word we translate fellowship, koinonio. Um, it's like we have we have it in common. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he likewise partook of the same thing. So you and I, we are alike. We share the same flesh and blood. We have human bodies. We breathe oxygen, we have blood that flows around in our veins, we have all these different anatomical bits that make us up, we're made of little tiny cells with mitochondria and all kinds of other things inside, and that's that unites us, doesn't it, as human beings, we're part of this big family of the human race, and then, but it says of Jesus, he likewise, he himself likewise partook of the same things, so he became the same. He became anatomically the same, biologically the same, psychologically the same, in the sense that he had a brain and emotions and all the rest of it. 
Um, so he, like he himself, likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all who, through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. Let's pause there. Death is our ultimate enemy isn't it it's the thing that stalks us from the very moment of conception and we know that so one something like one in three conceived embryos don't actually make it to implant in the womb and so life is fragile and it's like death is there i think shakespeare said we all give birth astride an open grave it's a horrible thought but it is actually true that one thing we can be certain of pretty much, is that we will live for a span of time and then we'll die. And and this ultimate enemy is like the devil's biggest, most powerful weapon that he can bring against us is to kill us. And yet Jesus somehow, through that very process of dying, through that surrender of his physical body, and his human mind and everything through the surrender of that to death somehow through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death <laughs> this is just mind-blowing isn't it it's just absolutely stunning that somehow through death through succumbing to the devil's biggest most dreadful horrible weapon in his arsenal by succumbing to that Jesus somehow annihilates death and destroys the devil and completely disarms him. Wow. So through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So that's something, isn't it, that dogs us all the way through our lives. We try and keep fit. We try and stay healthy. We try and eat the right kind of food. We wear a seatbelt in the car. We put our children in safety seats in the car so that they don't, so to try to keep death away, don't we? And that's a thing. And, and yet it still gets us in the end. But this is, we no longer, as children of God, we no longer live in fear of death. I don't go around worried that one day I'm going to die. I actually think, no, yeah, one day I'm going to die. Great, because then that's the end of this life. I step into another, that eternal dimension of life, which Jesus has paid for for me. And this is what we're talking about here. So we're free from that, that lifelong slavery to the fear of death. And then verse 16, he goes back to this theme about angels. He says, for surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Listen, if you are feeling like unworthy of God's attention and God's love and God's answers to your prayers and all of those things, you really need to understand that Jesus is not embarrassed about our flesh and blood. Jesus is not embarrassed about our aching bodies and our kind of extra wrinkles that we've got this year that we didn't have last year or any of those things or the gaps in our teeth and all those things that bother us. But actually, he 
identifies with that and and that that's actually the people he's interested in it's not angels that he helps but he helps the offspring of abraham that means literally human beings who have faith in him good morning pauline and good morning george it's good to see you verse 17 therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, big word coming up, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So Jesus had to be made like you and me in every respect. For what reason? Two reasons. Number one, so that he could be a high priest who is able to relate to us. So when he when we make our prayers to him and he he responds with the heart of compassion because he knows what it's like to be one of us. So he has fully shared in the human experience. He's carried our sorrows. He's he's felt our pain. He's felt the bitter pill of rejection and hostility, physical abuse, all of those things. He's taken all of those things and experienced those himself. So he is, so number one, he is a high priest who is able to relate to us, connect to us on a deeply personal level. He's not like some distant, aloof, transcendent figure who has no clue what it's like to be one of us, but lives in this ivory tower somewhere he is completely like us but also it's to the second point is to make propitiation a propitiation is a very long word jargon word that basically means an appropriate offering an appropriate sacrifice a sacrifice that fits the bill so listen if i owed a thousand pounds and someone wanted to make propitiation for my debt, the the thing that they would have to do would be to go to the person I owe the money to and say, I will pay a thousand pounds. If they said, look, I will pay 850, that would not be propitiation. That would be a good try, but it wouldn't cover the debt. Jesus is the propitiation he is the appropriate the absolute perfect sacrifice to pay for your sin and for my sin and to cover the whole debt which is absolutely amazing so this this role of jesus then is to be this perfect high priest who absolutely gets us who when we come to him he's full of mercy because he loves us with a deep empathy because he knows what it's like to be us so when we pray and say father and jesus takes our prayers to the father of the courts of heaven i don't know how it works but he is this great high priest who loves us with deep empathy and absolute connection but also he in he himself is the appropriate sacrifice that pays for your sin and my sin and covers every single bit of our debt. So when Jesus hung on the cross, he wasn't just showing us how much God loves us. He was 
paying a debt that we could never pay. He was the propitiation. He was the perfect sacrifice that covers your sin and my sin. That honestly, this is so, so profound and so deep. Don't just rush away and get on with your day. If you've possibly got time to sit down and just read it again, maybe a couple times through and just say, God, speak to me. And let me understand this. Help me to grasp the incredible magnitude of what Jesus, who Jesus is and what he has done. Wow. Have an amazing day. Hi, Suzanne. Great to see you. And God bless you all lovely people. And just remember how profound and deep is the love of God that he would sacrifice his only son to pay for you and me. Have an amazing day. I love you loads. Take care.